morning once again and uh, today we're going to be thinking about cross-shaped ministry from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer and then we will consider this part of God's word together. Will you please pray with me? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we consider your word now, help us not to go beyond what is written. Help us, Lord, to keep your word, your gospel as our foundation and authority for the Christian life. We pray that you'd help me to preach that word faithfully and clearly. And by your spirit, we pray that you would help us to cast off spiritual pride and to live cross-shaped lives to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why do churches differ so much? Why do churches differ so much. If you've been a Christian for a while, you will have noticed that there is a great variety of churches out there, uh, not just in terms of their size or their age or their language or other demographics. They differ in their theology. They differ in their forms of worship. They differ in their mission and vision. They differ in their experience and goals. You'll find charismatic churches with a, a great focus on music and experience You'll find high church, traditional church with a focus on liturgy and traditions. You'll find prosperity churches that offer health and wealth and success and miracles. You'll have, find liberal churches with progressive social agendas. You'll find evangelical churches with strong focus on the Bible and theology. I wonder how, how you think about this great spectrum of churches. Now, is it all just about personal taste? You know, just choosing uh, the style or form of worship that appeals to you. It's not really right or wrong, just, just a matter of preference, personal taste. Or is it just uh, cultural? Different people, different places, like different things at different times. Or is it that the differences are actually more significant? Is it that the styles, forms of worship actually represent competing theologies, which are more or less faithful to the scriptures? Well, our topic today is cross-shaped ministry, and my aim is for us to understand what authentic ministry, authentic Christian living looks like in the light of the cross, so that we will embrace authentic Christian ministry and living for ourselves. Well, let us remind ourselves of the context, and uh, Paul reviews the key issues in verse 6 of our passage. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favour of one against another. And in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 to 4, Paul has been addressing the issue of divisions in the Corinthian church. The church is split into factions. Each is lining up under their favourite uh, teacher. And, and Paul has not just been addressing the issue of divisions, but the deeper issues, the root cause that has led to it. And, and that is, as we've seen, their spiritual pride. As this verse says, they're puffed up in favour of one against another. And uh, we've seen so far that uh, this spiritual pride has been related to the worldly wisdom and values that they've allowed to penetrate the church. As they've become uh, impressed with knowledge and wisdom and gifts and power and eloquence and success, instead of viewing the world, the church, through the lens of the cross. And, and so their misunderstanding of the gospel, their failure to put the cross as the foundation and centre, has also resulted 
in a misunderstanding of Christian ministry. Now, and we've seen in chapters 3 to 4 that Paul has held himself and Apollos up as examples. Paul who planted the church in Corinth, Apollos who came later to, to, to water the church and build it up and grow it. Uh, he's taught them that Christian leaders, whether Paul, Apollos or anyone else, they're just servants. It's God who brings the growth. Everything that we have comes from God. And so we can't boast about any of it. And uh, he, we're told here in verse 6, he's, he's done all this, that you may learn bias not to go beyond what is written. That's not a, a biblical saying he's quoting there. It's probably a, a catchphrase from the early church, a, a reminder that we need to live out the word of God. It's a very important principle in Christian living. The Christian life is to be ordered according to the word of God. It's to be the foundation, the authority, the guiding light. To stray from scripture, to, to go beyond what is written, to insist on things that the Bible doesn't teach. Well, that's very dangerous indeed. And that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing as they were lining up under their favourite teacher. We're told in verse 6, they were puffed up in favour of one against the other. But as we saw last week, in the light of the gospel, their boasting was pure folly. After all, everything they'd received, including their leaders, was a gift of the gracious God. And he reminds them of that in verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why did you boast as though you did not receive it? So that's how Paul has opened the letter. Remember how he, he began in chapter 1, reminding them how everything they had was a gift of God's grace. Remember chapter 1, verse 4. I, I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. And verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Everything the Corinthians had received was a gift of the gracious God. And so if I boast about my favourite teacher, it's, it's folly because God blessed me with them. If I boast about my gifts, it's folly because God gave me my gifts. If I boast about my faith or my Christian maturity or my, or my knowledge of the Bible or the good things about my church or anything else, it's, it's utter folly because all those things are gifts of the gracious God. And that is, of course, true of everything in, in, in life, whether it's success in studies, opportunities at work, our, our family life, our children, our health. Everything we have is a gift of the gracious God. If we've received everything by grace, we can boast of nothing. We can't look down on other people and think we're better because we've got these things they don't have, as if the cause was ourselves. No, we can only boast in the Lord, give glory to God. We are to be humble and thankful because he is the giver of everything that we have. Well, that's the context. And so as we come to our passage today, Paul wants to show us then what cross-shaped ministry, what, what biblical ministry according to the scriptures looks like so that we may indeed embrace such an outlook on the Christian life. Well, let's begin. Point one. Authentic Christian ministry is cross-shaped. Authentic Christian ministry is cross-shaped. And so in verse 8, Paul highlights 
the misunderstanding that the Corinthians have of Christian ministry with some very piercing irony. Look at verse 8. He says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. See, he's probably quoting some things that the Corinthians have said. They, they, they think in their minds, they've made it in the Christian life. You know, they already possess spiritual wealth. They've got nothing to learn. They've got nowhere to grow. They're triumphalist. They're victorious. They're successful. They thought they had it all, all the blessings of the kingdom in the here and now. And Paul's saying, well, actually, you're wrong. Because the kingdom of God is now, yes, but also not yet. Let's unpack that for a moment. The kingdom is now in the sense that, well, Jesus has already been raised from the dead. He already sits enthroned in heaven. He's already made us his people. We're his children. He's already forgiven us his sins. He's already come to dwell in us by his spirit and so on. The kingdom is now in some sense. But the kingdom is also not yet in other senses. We're still waiting for Jesus to return. We're still waiting for the day that every knee will bow and confess Jesus Lord. We're still waiting for our resurrection bodies that, that, that won't decay and die. We're still waiting for the day that our struggle with sin will cease. We're still waiting for the day we'll enter into God's physical presence and we'll, we'll see him face to face. You see, the kingdom is now, yes. But it's also not yet. But for the Corinthian church, it was all now. That's why Paul says here, without us, you've become kings. They think they've, they've got it all now. But they hadn't really. Jesus hadn't returned yet, which is why Paul continues. Oh, would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. If Jesus had come back already then Paul would have been exalted with them in the rule of the new creation. But they were mistaken. He hadn't returned. They weren't yet reigning. So the Corinthians had a super-spiritual view of Christianity. Perhaps if they were living today, they might preach that, that you can live a victorious, spirit-filled life, conquering sin, successful in your career. You can be healthy and wealthy. You can experience miracles in your life. They would have said, come to our church, the best church. You can feel the presence of God. You can sit under powerful preaching by anointed preachers. You can be ushered into God's very presence with stirring music that will fill your soul with joy. Come to our church. It's the best church. We have prophecy. We have all the spiritual gifts. We have visions and dreams. We have special knowledge from God. Come to our church. Not like all those other churches that just have the Bible that lack the Holy Spirit, that don't experience the supernatural. We've got it all. See, the Corinthians had taken on a, a supercharged, spiritual, powerful Christianity that made them boast of their own significance and look down on others. Does it sound familiar? It's exactly that kind of triumphant, victorious Christianity that is still promoted today in many charismatic churches. And it's arrogant. And it's false. It's based off a distorted gospel. No cross. It's based off a distorted eschatology. All now. 
No, not yet. It's based off a distorted view of ministry. And yet, of course, this fake, distorted kind of Christianity remains so attractive to many people because we want to be successful, victorious, triumphant, super spiritual now. Well, as we move on in the passage, Paul contrasts that with real Christianity. Look at verse 9. He says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. So Paul draws here on a very graphic image of his day, of the victory march. You see, as the, the Roman soldiers came back victorious in battle and, and walked into the city, the generals would be at, there at the front, and then the soldiers at the end of the march would be the prisoners of war, and right at the very end would be those who were doomed to die, those who were going to be thrown to the wild beasts or killed by the gladiators in the arena. So the Corinthians think they're at the front of the march, they're reigning. But Paul thinks that he and the apostles are at the end, a spectacle to the whole universe. They're, they're ready to be led into the arena to be killed for the onlookers' entertainment. Truth is, the Corinthians despised weak people like Paul. But Paul was actually living in the light of the cross. Paul's ministry was authentic ministry, authentic Christianity. Paul continues in the biting irony in verse 10. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honour, but we in disrepute. Of course, Paul is being rather sarcastic here. He's only really foolish and weak and pathetic in the world sight and, well, in the sight of worldly Christian churches like the Corinthian church, who themselves had embraced the very same worldly values of wisdom, strength and honour. But if they understood what Paul was saying in the opening chapters, if they'd understood the wisdom of the cross, they would have understood that the reverse was in fact true. It was Paul who was truly wise. It was Paul who had embraced God's weak cross, which was actually stronger than man's strength. Paul was the one who was honoured in God's sight for all their worldly wisdom and strength. The Corinthians were in fact fools. Their ministry was a sham. It was arrogance. And so Paul goes on to remind us what real, authentic, cross-shaped ministry looks like. Have a look in verse 11. He says, to the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labour working with our own hands. When reviled we blessed, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul's ministry here is the genuine ministry. It's a ministry of suffering now and glory later, a life of, of poverty and need, life of labour, life of persecution and insult, life of rejection and scorn, but in return, love and blessing. He ends, in short, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, 
the refuse of all things. He's saying we're cast-offs, we're garbage, we're scrapings, we're rejects. We are all that is despised by this world that so worships power and success. Paul's ministry was a cross-shaped ministry. It, it was a ministry like the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Christ who was poor and wandered about with no home of his own. Christ who worked with his own hands as a carpenter. Christ who was despised and rejected, sentenced to death as the, as the world watched on, killed in the most shameful of deaths, left hungry, thirsty, naked. You might describe the scum of the world. And yet even as he was persecuted to death, Jesus blessed. Father, forgive them, just as he taught. Turn the other cheek. Pray for your persecutors. See, Paul's ministry was authentic ministry. It was the real deal. Because his ministry was like Jesus. Filled not with glory and success in the world's eyes, but filled with suffering service. If the essence of the gospel is Jesus Christ and him crucified, then we cannot possibly preach that message and then say you're going to be powerful and successful. No, authentic ministry, authentic Christian living is about denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus. It's suffering now, only glory later. Well, as Paul continues, we see that not only will authentic Christian ministry be cross-shaped, but at point two, authentic Christian ministry will encourage cross-shaped living. Authentic Christian ministry will encourage cross-shaped living. Now, although Paul has had some rather strong words to say to the Corinthians to this point, he is in fact speaking words of love to them. His aim is actually to encourage them along the right path of cross-shaped living. Look at verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul is writing these, these things, even these hard things, as a father caring for his spiritual children. It was, after all, Paul who had come to Corinth to proclaim the gospel, who brought them to know Christ in the first place. Yes, they'd had other teachers like Apollos who'd come later, but they only had one father in the faith who'd preached the gospel to them, who'd, who'd loved them to such an extent that he's even willing to write this painful letter to them to admonish them and set them back on the right path. Yes, his letter may have made them ashamed of their immature behaviour, but he was writing to them in love. He wanted to encourage them. And so full of fatherly love, he, he asked them to, to act like, act as his children, like him, imitating their father. In verse 16, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Remember in the ancient world, sons imitated their fathers. They'd adopt the same profession, they'd carry on the family name. Paul wants the Corinthians to act like real children as they embrace authentic Christian ministry and living that is like his own. 
Do you see, Paul's gospel was the genuine gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's ministry was the genuine ministry. Suffering sacrificial service of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd failed to understand how the cross applies to the Christian life. And Paul wants the Corinthians to imitate him. To cast off their proud pursuits of success and eloquence. To humbly embrace a life of suffering servanthood that was just like his. And just like Jesus. But Paul doesn't want to simply write to them what they should do. He wants to also remind them of what such a cross-shaped life looks like by sending someone who will live it out before them. He plans to send his precious co-worker, Timothy. Look at verse 17. He says, That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them every, everywhere, in every church. Now, Paul's description of Timothy here, as his beloved and faithful child in the Lord, it, it speaks, actually, of also how much he loves the Corinthians. Paul sent to them his very best. And, and Timothy was not simply to teach doctrines to the Corinthian church. He, he, he was sent to remind them of how Paul lived. To, to, to live before them. What does a cross-shaped life look like? I think it's a really good reminder uh, that what congregations need to grow in Christ is not just a teacher who will preach correct doctrines to them, but a pastor who will love them and model to them what a godly life looks like. And it's why we can't simply just stay home forever and watch church on YouTube and still grow as a Christian as God intends. We may have to do it temporarily now. But in the long term, we need to see the Christian life lived by people who know the gospel. We need to observe in others what a cross-shaped life looks like. Because it's often someone's life that stands out and impacts us much more than their message. It's often only when we see it lived that we understand what a gospel-shaped life looks like. So Carson writes uh, along these lines, faithful Christian leaders must make the connections between creed and conduct, between the cross and how to live, and they must exemplify this union in their own lives. Well, not only, though, does Paul lovingly encourage them as a father to a child and send Timothy ahead of him to pave the way, but he actually tells them he's also willing to exercise his authority in loving discipline as well. Now, discipline is a painful but necessary part of being a father. No father likes to see their children upset. You know, when you tell them there's no TV today or... They need to go to timeout or, or whatever it is. But it's because a parent loves their children and wants to see their character shaped and set them on the right path that discipline is an absolutely vital part of parenting. And the same is true in Christian ministry. So much of Christian ministry is about loving persuasion and encouragement and setting forth a godly example. But there is always a place, also a place, for rebuke and even for discipline. Now Paul knows full well that there are some among the Corinthian church who are so arrogant, so proud, 
that they will disregard Timothy, they'll disregard his letter. In fact, they'll think that Paul doesn't have the courage to do anything about it at all. And Paul writes in verse 18, Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. Paul intends to come and sort out the problems in this church in person. Now, that is God willing. You know, he fully recognises that ultimately none of us can guarantee the future. God is sovereign over all of our plans. But he intends to come. And when he comes, verse 19, he says, I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What does Paul mean? The kingdom doesn't consist of talk, but power. Well, we have to, at this point, just go back to chapter 1, verse 17 for a moment. There Paul wrote, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So what the Corinthians had done by embracing a gospel of worldly wisdom and eloquence, promoting themselves instead of Christ and his cross, what they had actually done was to empty the cross of its transforming power. And Paul is saying he's not interested in how big they can talk. What is the fruit of their ministry? Did it save people? Was it transforming people to be more like Christ? And Paul knows full well that the answer to that is no. He's heard of the divisions and the spiritual pride. He knows of the sexual immorality in the church. He knows that they're having lawsuits, that they're participating in pagan worship. He knows about their false views of spirituality and their denial of the resurrection at the end. We'll see all of those issues in the following chapters. Paul knows there's no power to this worldly ministry. And so when Paul came to visit them, he was more than willing to expose their ministry for the fraud that it really was. But he did hope that it wouldn't come to that. Verse 21, he leaves them with a choice. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Paul was willing to use his apostolic authority to discipline the Corinthians for their Christian growth. He wasn't afraid of using church discipline to put the church back in order. After all, he was their spiritual father in the faith. Loving parents disciplined their children for their good, and he loved them a lot. But it wasn't his preference. And that's why he sent Timothy ahead of him. And that's why he wrote this letter. He hoped that they would respond to the letter, that they would sort out the issues themselves before he came, so that he may instead come in the spirit of love and gentleness. He leaves the choice to them. But either way, he cares enough for their growth in the gospel that he's willing to act as necessary. So that's the second point this morning. Authentic Christian leadership encourages cross-shaped living, authentic Christian leadership. It cares for those they serve, that they live out the gospel. Well, as we conclude, let's just draw a few implications. Firstly, uh, we've seen that authentic Christian ministry and living must be shaped by the gospel 
and not just personal preference. See, our understanding of the cross, the theology of the cross, should inevitably lead to a form of ministry and living that is cross-shaped as we live as sacrificial servants. See, theology always informs practice. And so we can't simply leave our forms of worship or leadership to personal preference. We must always go back to the gospel and allow it to shape our ministry and our Christian living so that it is cross-shaped. And what that means, secondly, is that not all forms of Christian ministry and, and living are equally faithful to the gospel. At the start, we observed that there's such a great variety of churches out there, charismatic, traditional, liberal, uh, evangelical, and so on. And, and what we can't do is say that all the difference is, is, is simply a matter of preference and style. No, church and ministry must be shaped by the gospel. We've seen today that any kind of triumphant, victorious, eloquent ministry based upon worldly wisdom and false views of Christian spirituality, they cannot be accepted. They cannot be condoned. The kind of ministry in the Corinthian church, which is seen still in many churches today, it needed correction. It was not just a matter of what I like. And so thirdly, we must actively reject alternatives to cross-shaped ministry. Now the Apostle Paul himself was willing to confront the Corinthians on their misunderstanding of the gospel and the Christian life. He was willing to say hard things. He was willing to not just encourage, but rebuke and even warn. He wasn't doing it out of sense of superiority, but out of love for this church that he planted. And so too we, I, I take it, must be willing to encourage, to rebuke, to correct, when we see alternatives to authentic Christian ministry and living being embraced by those around us. Like Paul, we must not teach, not just teach what cross-shaped ministry looks like, but also set forth our own lives as an example to imitate and call others to do the same. Well, finally, then, we must actively embrace models of cross-shaped ministry. We must actively embrace models of cross-shaped ministry. It's important for each one of us to take time to go back to the gospel, back to the cross, to reflect on the ministry set forth by Paul in these opening chapters, so that we might have our own faulty views of the gospel and the Christian life corrected, so that we may all live more faithfully in the light of the gospel. We've seen today, authentic Christian ministry is cross-shaped. An authentic Christian ministry encourages cross-shaped living. So will you live a cross-shaped life and encourage others to do the same? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for reminding us today what authentic Christian ministry and living looks like. We want to confess to you the temptation to spiritual pride in our own hearts that lies so deep. Help us to remember 
Everything that we have is a gift from you. We cannot boast or look down on others. Heavenly Father, we confess to you that we too are often tempted to embrace a triumphant, powerful form of Christianity instead of one that is marked by suffering service like the Lord Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, for giving us the Apostle Paul to point us back to the cross, to give us an example of cross-shaped living and ministry to imitate. And we do pray that you'd be helping us to embrace such a cross-shaped life for ourselves and to have the courage to lovingly correct those that have embraced alternatives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.